If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians and what Joel just sang is a good start for what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as you're turning to Philippians chapter 2. Lord, thank you. Would you open our hearts this morning? Would we be changed by what we're reading and seeing and singing about? Lord, thank you for your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you have your outlines on your phone or if you printed it out before you came, we'll follow along that outline. And you can also get the MontgomeryFBC.org app and you can fill those things in as we go. But this morning we're going to focus on Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Now if you are a copious note taker, you probably noticed that we missed 1 through 11. But if you're also a good copious note taker, you know that that was Jay's completing sermon that he preached was on Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So I would encourage you, if you have not yet listened to it, which if you haven't, I don't know why you wouldn't have at this point. That was his completing sermon. So please go back and watch that. But what we're going to talk about this morning in 12 through 18, uh, Jay's sermon set the foundation for what we'll talk about this morning, 12 through 18. So let's, let's dive into this together. Let's see what we can pull away from it. We have a little bit shorter of a time this morning. So we're going to just see what the Lord gives us and walk forward. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So then the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, so the first thing that we need to see right off the bat is verse 12. The first word is what? I just haven't heard anybody talk back in a while, so I want to hear you say something. So what is the first word that you see is therefore, and any time in Scripture you see the word therefore, you look and see what it's therefore. This is so wonderful. Thank you. You look and see what it's therefore. All right, so when you look and see what the word therefore is, you see that it's usually talking about the preceding passages, which again is Philippians 2, 1 through 11, which Jay did a beautiful job preaching on, which has been his life anthem, which is The answer is always Jesus, remember? Jesus, right? The answer here is Jesus, that the foundation this morning that you'll see is look to Jesus, right? You look in passages 1 through 11, and you see this inundated with Jesus, which is, and honestly, the whole purpose of the book of Philippians, which is honestly the whole purpose of the Bible, to demonstrate and show us who Jesus is and reveal to us from Genesis to Revelation who Jesus was and who Jesus is in our lives. It's the gospel being played out from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. And so when you see this word, therefore, you look behind it and you see this passage just filled with who Jesus is, that though he was God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself to the point of a servant, to death on a cross, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. So this is the foundation that we're setting, which means for us, 
nothing that we'll talk about this morning will make sense in light of a relationship with Jesus, which is so often the case that sometimes we come to Scripture and say, Lord, I I don't want to grumble anymore. Welcome to 2020. We have a few reasons to grumble. And so here we are in this passage talking about not grumbling. It's not going to make sense unless we have a thriving, real relationship with Jesus that we come to situations like this and realities such as the year that we've just come to. And we're going to say, Lord, you're telling me not to grumble in the midst of it? How do we do this? How do we live as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Only by looking at Jesus. Only by setting our foundation correctly on the Lord and his leadership in our lives will any of this make sense. So our foundation this morning is first and foremost, look to Jesus. I get it. You're saying this is super simple. We get the point, Mark. It's Jesus. But here's the deal. This is super important. Nothing that we'll talk about or go through in the past, future, nothing makes sense unless we first fix our gaze and our eyes on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. You see here, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, you see this continued loving relationship with the Philippian church, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This reminds me back in the day when I played basketball in high school, uh, pre-practice and post-practice, we did the same thing. Anybody remember if you played sports, you always did conditioning, right? The dreaded thing, right? Conditioning, working out, making sure that your body was in shape. So at the beginning of practice, we stretched and we ran lap after lap after lap around the gym, right? We had to dribble a basketball and when we got to the corner, we had to do a cool move like a spin or something to make sure we could deke out the defenders. And so every Practice on the sheet, warm-up, conditioning at the bottom. But you know, we're high schoolers, and so what do we do? But we would dribble for a little while, and then when coach would turn away, what do you do? Maybe not y'all, but we would coast a little bit, right? You start dribbling hard, making sure you've got everything together, and then when the coach looks away or the coach gets a drink of water, everybody just starts like walking in place, dribbling the ball. And then as soon as he turns back, what does everybody do? full sprinting around the corners, making sure that everything's good. I mean, we're, we're deking out these fake defenders to the maximum. And then as soon as he turns away, what do you do? Sorry, I know, not y'all. What do I do? I coast, right? I see your eyes. I can't see your mouth, but I see your eyes. You're telling me you don't do that, right? But this happened. Every basketball practice, coach turns away and we start loafing, right? As soon as coach turns, we start going full blast, making sure we're following all the rules. And what is Paul doing here? He's reminding the Philippian church that they are in no way following Paul. They're not obeying Paul's commands. They're they're following and magnifying the Lord. And so on that basketball team, who was I hurting? I wasn't hurting coach. He really probably could care less whether I ran hard through the drills and did everything correctly. I was hurting my team and I was hurting myself by not building up endurance and by deking out those fake defenders. So when game time came, I was ready to deke out the real people who were going to be in front of me. I was only hurting myself and the team. And in the same way, Paul's reminding the Philippian church, in my absence, or you obey to my presence, but even when I'm absent, continuing to obey because it magnifies the Lord. And this is difficult because when our teachers are away and when, when our Sunday school teachers aren't looking over our shoulder or when our parents aren't right there looking at us, how do we respond? How do we act? How do we obey the Lord's calling in our lives? We talk about when you walk out these back doors and get in your car and you go home, that's when the rubber meets the road, is it not? 
It's when the difficulty of these passages and these things that we read begin to play in themselves out in our lives. Will we trust in the Lord? Will we obey the Lord? Not when God's people are around us watching, but in the stillness of our offices at work, in the quietness of our homes, well, maybe not in the quietness, but in the chaos of our homes as things are going crazy, do we continue to trust and obey and honor the Lord both when we feel like he's watching or when God's people are watching or when they're not? So I'm teleported back to high school basketball, remembering I'm not trying to please my coach. I'm trying to get myself in shape and endurance and get ready for the game. And in the same way, as we read God's word, as we study God's word, we're trying to honor the Lord here, please the Lord, to do what he is calling us to do, not just when the world is watching and not just when God's people are watching, but we are to honor the Lord in every circumstance. And you see Paul's life so represent this that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. Whether he's in prison or not, this guy is serving Jesus. And so this is our calling. This is our command. Whether we are watching or not, we are going to serve and trust in the Lord. So let's get to this next little part that Paul talks about, not only in my presence, but in my absence. And then he says this interesting phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. This is a little bit of a tough passage. Right? And at times when we come to passages like this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's good for us to look at them in light of the whole of Scripture to see what God's counsel gives to us in the wholeness of Scripture. Because you can have different thoughts about this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So one, is Paul talking about that you are God, you have to work for your salvation. That there's something that you've got to do to work towards your salvation. That there maybe is a scale on which you are kind of saved, And at some point, as you continue to work and work and work and work, you get really saved. And I hope your alarm bells are just going off and off because you know that that's not the case, is it not? So Paul is not saying work for your salvation. So let's see from Scripture, not just from what we think that we're not supposed to work our salvation. Let's see from Scripture. Let's let other Scripture help us to inform sometimes these more difficult passages. You see Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. So we see this is right in line with Paul telling us not to work for your salvation. Again, Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we can see very clearly that this passage is not telling us work for your salvation, that you've got to do some more good things to earn your salvation, to get on the spectrum of, ah, you're a little bit saved, but you keep on working, keep on working, and then eventually you'll get to that really saved point where you're like Billy Graham saved, all right? There's not a spectrum of salvation in which we're working down the line until we get to a point where, man, I'm finally confident I'm saved today. Because the moment you feel like you're working your way into salvation, you know that you can work your way out of salvation. So Paul surely does not mean that you're on a scale of salvation where you're trying to get more saved all the day long. Now, is Paul in this addressing that maybe we can't have assurance of our salvation, that we've got to continue working for our salvation, working out our salvation, and so we can't know we're saved until the Lord calls us home and we find out before the judgment seat of God? 
I hope again that your alarm bells are going ring-a-ding-ding up here and you're saying, that can't be true. I know that that's not true because we talk about assurance of our salvation, that we can know, that we can know that we are saved. So let's see what scripture has to say. 1 John 5, 12 through 13. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, it says all who call upon the name of the Lord, when we trust in Jesus with our lives, we don't go from the spectrum of being more saved every day. What happens is the salvation process starts the process of sanctification. You see on your outlines right there, salvation leads us into sanctification. When God saves us, he begins this work in us that begins this process of sanctification where we look more like Jesus, where we're growing into the image of Jesus, where we're working out our salvation to look more like Jesus day in and day out. This process of salvation, where we're saved, where we're trusting in Christ, where he saved us and we can have assurance of our our salvation, works itself out to be the sanctification process where we look more like Jesus, molding ourselves more into the image of Jesus day in and day out, ultimately until glorification where he calls us home. So this is Paul's reminder to us that we work out our salvation, that we bring forth the fruit of our salvation. So let me ask you these questions here. How are you growing closer into the image of Jesus? How are you growing closer into the image of Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus than you did today than you did a year ago? Now, I I would imagine that everybody has one of these places in your house. I would guess that it would be in one of your closets around your house, either at your grandparents' house or your house. There's a closet somewhere in your house that has all these little lines going up it, right? That you have had your kids or grandkids go up and with their straight back, they've gone and measured how tall they've gotten. Anybody have one of those in your house or your grandparents' house? You know, and you paint everything, but you don't paint that inside closet door because you can't mess up how tall the kids have gotten. And there's different seasons where your kids shot up from here to here. And there's seasons where maybe they went from here to here to here to here to here. And there's little growth. And we don't remember all the things we did. Did we feed them right in those stages? Did we do the right? I don't know what it looks like, but there's different stages in which we see real growth. And you look back and say, man, I remember when they were this tall, man, that was crazy. They were so little. And now look at them, they're this tall. They're towering over us. Isn't that crazy, the process, even with a four-year-old to see that crazy bit of growth? And so for each of us, as you look back at that spiritual closet and look at your life, Do you see growth in your life? Do you see the Lord's handiwork in your life shaping you, molding you, growing you more and more into his image? I pray and I hope that you don't look like the same person that you did when you came to Jesus, however old you were. Yeah, we've matured a little bit. We've maybe gotten a little wiser, but I pray that your faith is deeper The fruit of the Spirit is more alive in your your life. You're more of a loving, patient, joy-filled person. You're a peacemaker person. You have the fruit of the Spirit just welling up inside of you. And so as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I would ask you, are you growing closer into the image of God? And what is the fruit of your salvation? 
Is there any noticeable difference because you trust in Jesus with your life? Is there anything different about you than someone who doesn't know the Lord? Do you look different than your unbelieving friends at work? Is there anything different about the fruit that is in you? And then lastly, are you turning from your sin? Talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you hear a lot about God being a good, merciful, just, caring, loving God? And that is so true. These verses do not contradict the fact that we have a God who loves us and cares for us, desires relationship with us, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This does not negate the fact that God says, draw near to the throne with grace, of, with confidence. This doesn't negate any of that. But it's reminding us that God does not like sin. He despises sin and he calls us to root out sin in our lives because sin has a terrible effect on our lives. This afternoon as we do first grade Bible distributions, I'll tell them the story of God's word being a light. And just this past week, we had this experience with removing things with a light. Micah was kind of hurting a little bit and so we got, grabbed a big old flashlight and we looked at the bottom of his foot and we found this big old splinter. It was terrible. Right? And so as we use this light to look at that splinter at the bottom of his foot, we knew that that splinter had to be pulled out of there to the horror of everybody involved, right? Not just Micah, but to this guy who's kind of squeamish, maybe not to Brittany who loves medical things and was just maybe salivating it. Yeah, I can pull this thing out of his foot. I don't know. But we knew that if we didn't pull the splinter out of his foot, that ramifications would happen in the days ahead, right? That it may get infected and bad things can happen. And so we use that light to look at that foot and with precision pull out that splinter that would do bad things to Micah over a long period of time. And friends, as we look at sin in our lives, it is never easy to root out. It's never fun. It's never enjoyable. But if you don't pull it out, do you know the end result of a splinter in a foot over years and years and years is not the most positive of things? In the same way sin left unchecked in your heart over years and years and years and years is not the most positive of things. And so this is why as believers, we humble ourselves and we recognize who God is, a holy, merciful, just God. And he calls us to root out sin in our lives. And so as we work out our salvation, part of that process is saying, God, refine me, shape me, reveal things in me that should not be there. And Lord, I don't wanna just see them in there. I wanna get them out. Because we have a God who wants us to be more into his image, to look like him to act like him in the world around us. We work out our salvation. It's not a process of we got saved, so let's just sit in the pew until God calls us home. No, we are working out our salvation. We're going through the process of sanctification every single day. And it is not sometimes an enjoyable, fun process. It hurts and it's painful as the Lord refines things in us and reveals things in us ultimately so that we could be better and more effective witnesses for our Lord. So we move from this into this Incredible portion in verse 14 where Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. And I, I don't have much time to go through this, but it's incredibly important that we understand where this fits in the context of Paul's encouragement. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Now here's, here's an important part. As you fill in the blank, I left the word all as an underline so that you could write the word all because I believe Paul meant all. And sadly, this is the case that I wanted Paul to write, do most things without grumbling or questioning. 
Do the easy things without grumbling or questioning. Do the fun things without grumbling question. 2020 is an aside. You can grumble all you want to, but keep going through whatever. No, Paul says do all things. This is hard. This is not easy. I confess that I have grumbled a lot the past six months. As I've even thought back to preaching through that second sermon about Paul being in prison and advancing the gospel, seeing his imprisonment as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward, sometimes this past six months, I've just thought, God, what are you doing? This is miserable. I'm so frustrated, even angry at times. God, this is, this is not how it should be, Lord. This is not good. I don't enjoy this. This is frustrating for three kids to be screaming their head off every hour of every day in our house. God, this is not good. This is not the way you've designed. And I'm grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And this is convicting. Does Paul just tell us, hey, don't grumble because it's not a nice thing to do and people just won't want to be around you? Does Paul just say, don't grumble because we want you to be well-liked in our culture? There's a specific reason that you see Paul say that we should not be people who grumble. It can go back even to Exodus as the Israelites move out of captivity. You see that God is looking to do an incredible work in them to bring them out of captivity and into the promised land. But time and time again, as they cross the Red Sea, they begin to grumble as the miracles of manna and water come forth. They begin to grumble and 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 just continue to grumble. And God was displeased with what he was trying to do in them the entire time. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Flip the script. Do you see Paul grumbling in prison? I mean, if anybody could grumble, here you would get the opportunity for Paul to write, hey, I'm in prison. I'm really upset about it. Paul, uh, Philippian church, help me get out of here. This is miserable. You see Paul say, hey, don't worry. Even the gospel is going forward. And I get that this is incredibly difficult. I'm not up here saying, hey, this is all hunky-dory. Y'all just go have fun. You better not grumble when you're out there. This is hard. This is not easy. At times, painful to walk through and say, Lord, what is in me? And so you can see these things that at times grumbling can be a heart indicator. For the Israelites, it was an indicator of their lack of trust in the Lord, that they're going to grumble and not not know that the Lord would provide for them in their every need, that if he's brought them out of captivity, he's going to lead them to the proper place. It's a heart issue. As I have felt my heart turn to grumbling time and day again to just grumble against God, it's a reflection of what is inside of me, that there's some sin issues and some things in which I don't trust the Lord enough. And so as you begin to grumble, as you begin to grumble against your boss, does that reveal a lack of love for your boss? As you grumble against your job, does that reveal a lack of thankfulness over what the Lord has provided for you? Friends, there's a lot of things that even at times may be seemingly very justifiable justifiable to grumble against. But see, grumbling conforms us right into the pattern of culture. We live in a very grumbly culture. Have you noticed? It's a grumbly culture. We like to grumble. We like to be at the water cooler and grumble against everybody and anybody that walks on our pathway. We are a grumbly people. And so if we want to fit right in the middle of culture, we will grumble all the day long. But here, look at Paul's words. Do all things without grumbling or questioning because that you want to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Listen to this. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Anybody, anybody recognize that we're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? 
I hope I'm not news, news flashing anybody. We're living in a, a dark time, a difficult time, a, a hard season, a, a difficult, fractured, divided culture that we're living in. And what does God call us to? To be people who are not grumbling so that we would shine as bright beacons of light in the right smack dab in the middle of darkness. That's our calling. Not that we'll just be good moral people who are doing all the right things. No, we are supposed to shine bright, bright beacons of God's goodness and gospel in the midst of. That's why we keep going. That's why we don't just sit in here and have dinner brought in and we just say, hey, we're just going to wait this thing out till the Lord comes home because we're all in here together and we love each other. This is so good. We just want to stay here forever. No, we go out of this place because we're supposed to live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation to be a different way. And that's where you see Grumbling conforms to culture, but grumbling also dims our light. Friends, when we're too busy grumbling against all the things in culture, our light just goes from a thousand-watt bulb down to almost like a little, little pin light. When we fit in, when we look just like culture in every single way, including grumbling, then that bright beacon of hope and light, why would anybody want to look just like everybody else? And I guarantee you, if you flip the script from grumbling and grumbling and grumbling to rejoicing, 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 man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Not, for, not that, man, it rained again today. Lord, thank you, Lord, for these flowers that are going to burst forth in a few days. Or, man, not thank you for this terrible job. Lord, thank you that I had money to buy food on the table this week. And I get it. This is not that simple. This is difficult. Friends, our goal is not just to be non-grumblers. Our goal is to shine as lights in the world, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So let's implement this thing. How do we implement this thing? As we leave this place, it gives us this great hope. Let God's word be the light to your pathway. Verse 16 says, after Paul has finished this, he says, holding fast to the word of life. In the same way at night when a kid gets scared, they hold on to that teddy bear with everything they have. Maybe some of you still hold on to a little teddy bear when you go to bed at night. You hold fast to it because you're scared. In the same way, you hold fast to this word. When you walk through things that you don't understand, pains and sorrows and hurts, you hold fast to God's word. You hide it deep in your heart. You call upon it. You long for it. You need it. You let it wash your soul deep inside of you. And when other people need it, you give it. You let them, hold on, man, I got the word. Come on, hold on with me. We got this thing. Let's go in it together. We hold fast to the word of life when we don't understand what it looks like to not grumble against this world. And here we go, Paul. Look at Paul's life. Look at his example. It's not easy. What I'm talking about this morning is not easy. It's difficult. Man, as we hold fast, as we shine bright, we demonstrate to the world that there is another way, that we have hope that is unspeakable, we have joy that is unspeakable, and we have peace that surpasses anyone's wildest expectations. We can't do it without what we talked about first, Jesus. This doesn't make sense without Jesus. So friends, let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, we, we confess again that we need you, or we long for you, we need you, or we've got to have you. Lord, as we go to this time of invitation, Lord, I just pray that all of us ask 
ourselves, Lord, have we been grumbly? Have we griped against your calling and your plans in our life? Lord, I get that it is difficult. This is not easy, Lord, but we want to flip the script and shine as bright beacons of light in the midst of lostness and darkness. Lord, help us, teach us, make us fall in love with you all over again. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.